I invite you now to take out your Bibles once again. Uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 8. As we turn to God's Word, let's not rush past and forget the need to turn to Him and ask for His help. Let's pray. Father, be pleased to open your word to our hearts and open our hearts to your word that we would know what we are to believe about you and what duty you require of your people. And as we trust your word, as we believe your word, and as we obey, help us to do it with a humble reliance upon Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. One of my favorite classes in high school was biology, but the next year I took advanced biology, and uh, that was uh, even better. But in college, uh, I stayed away from the sciences as best as I could, Um, and one of the courses, of course, that was available was anatomy, anatomy. Now... Kids, do you know what anatomy is? Well, here's a definition. The branch of science concerned with the bodily structure of humans, animals, and other living organisms, especially as revealed by dissection and the examination of parts. All right, who missed out on anatomy class in high school and college? Well... It's time for a quiz um, inspired by Sean's work in the adult class. It's time for the pop quiz, directed primarily at kids, but of all ages. What part of the body has to do with hearing? Oh, wow, I have a variety. Who, Who said it? I heard it. Ears, right, right, good, good. So far, A plus. But here's another question. Maybe a little tougher. When is the heart associated with hearing? When's the heart associated with hearing? In today's text. In today's text. uh, Look at verse 8. Jesus called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear But after the explanation is given, the call really is this. He who has a heart to hear, let him hear. And so for the next few minutes, we're going to open up. We are going to dissect and examine the human heart according to the Bible. Something we'll discover is that depending upon the condition of the heart, some people, though not all, may be hearing impaired or hard of hearing. We'll discover that the heart of hearing is the heart. And what is the heart? Well, this past summer, uh, I did a lot of reading. And uh, to the hopeful encouragement of our session, I read two theological books. And the rest was naval, military history, and fun stuff. Two theological books, 
uh, a praying church and a new book called With All Your Heart, Orienting Your Mind, Desires, and Will Toward Christ, uh, written by a friend of mine who's professor of practical theology at Westminster Seminary, California. And this is how the author Craig Troxell defines the heart. The heart is the governing center of a person. When used simply, it reflects the unity of our inner being. And when used comprehensively, it describes the complexity of our inner being as composed of mind, what we know, desires, what we love, and will, what we choose. Now we're going to get to the heart and the parable in just a moment, but as you notice, that's not where Luke starts. Let's uh, begin where Luke starts with the first three verses, a summary statement on the road with Jesus. I grew up watching a show called On the Road with Charles Kuralt. He was from North Carolina. I recognized his accent. It was a good show. This is On the Road with Jesus. Listen to the first three verses. Soon afterward, he, that is Jesus, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and jo Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Luke is marking a transition to a new phase of Jesus' ministry. Jesus is declaring he's preaching and teaching, but he's also demonstrating the kingdom of God. What is the subject of his declaration and demonstration? It's the good news of the kingdom of God. It's the good news of the gospel. Jesus did not go into all of these cities and villages by himself, but rather in the company of others. Others were with him. He was not alone. Not only were his 12 disciples with him, the men that he had called, but there are three women that Luke mentions by name, Mary, Joanna, and Susanna. All three were recipients of the mercy Jesus provided. All three became disciples of Jesus. And all three represented some pretty diverse people. Mary, Scripture nowhere says Mary is a prostitute. We have no idea what Mary's background is other than there were seven demons tormenting her and Jesus cast them out. Joanna, her husband was the chief of staff, as it were, of Herod in the palace, educated, wealthy. They were recipients, all of them, of the mercy of Jesus. They became disciples of Jesus and they were socially and morally had different backgrounds. One commentator, William Barclay, says this, it is one of the supreme achievements of Jesus that he can enable the most diverse people, Mary, Joanna. And what do we know about Susanna? 
Nothing. Nothing. She's anonymous. To to enable the most diverse people to live together without in the least losing their own personalities or qualities. Mary, Joanna, and Susanna, they're not part of a cult. They're not going to be formed into something that they're not personality-wise. So Luke provides this transition, and now he's going to move on to this parable of parables. The leading parable occupies the pride of place in, in Matthew 13, in Mark 4, and here in Luke 8. Now, it's not the first mention of Luke in, by Luke of Jesus using a parable. You can look back to chapter 5, verse 36, Luke, uh, chapter 6, verse 39, but it's the first of the 29-story Parables recorded by Luke. And more than any other gospel writer, Luke uses parables and, and, and records them. Now, what is a parable? Literally, you break it down, it's to throw alongside. Uh, used in the Old Testament, a parable would be any saying not to be taken literally. In the New Testament, parables are metaphors, metaphors similes, proverbs, stories. I think all of us have probably heard this common definition, an earthly story with a heavenly meeting. Uh, The idea is take something that's up high, bring it down low. Take something that's abstract and make it concrete. Yes, parables like this do use the physical to illustrate the spiritual. But as we will see, there's more to a parable than meets the eye. There's more to a parable than meets the ear. And so the way we're going to unpack and explore this parable of the sower or the parable of the soils is to go back and use the three basic steps of Bible study. Observation, interpretation, application. Any of you that have ever done basic Bible study, you observe the text. You, what does it say? You interpret the text. What does it mean? And you apply the text. How do you put it into practice. And so for those of you that want an outline, here it is. We're going to look at three aspects of the parable. The parable told, the parable explained, and the parable put into practice. The parable told, explained, and put into practice. So join with me as I read now verses four to eight. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, that is Jesus, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it. And choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things, as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Imagine the scene. Jesus could be speaking and actually pointing over to a sower of seed on a field. Uh, He's bringing up agriculture in Palestine, in the ancient Near East. It's a common site, a common practice. It's, 
Even if they weren't looking at an actual farmer sowing seed, they would know in their mind what he is presenting. Scattering seed. Uh, This is not farming as done in America. This is farming done where seed is scattered because these fields had paths through them and around them. Well-worn, hard-packed soil paths. There was soil that we'll see in a moment that looked good, but underneath was limestone rock. And there was other path, uh, other soil that had an abundance of weeds that grew up. So this scattering of seed, this is not a foolish farmer. This is a typical farmer. There's the sower, there's the seed, and there's the soil. Sowing time was October to December with harvest time coming in June. So right now, here we are in November. It's the middle of sowing the seed. And you heard that there are four areas where the seed landed, where it fell. Along the path that was present in and around these areas that were to be um, uh, cultivated. Uh, On the rock, not, not... like rocks that you would see with the eye, but you would see the soil at about an inch below the soil was a limestone layer, limestone rock. And another area was among thorns and finally into good soil. Now notice that three out of the four areas, the the seed did not survive. It did not germinate and grow to maturity. Did you hear the prepositions? Along the path, on the rock, among thorns, into good soil. I'm convinced that Christianity could be in one way described by the proper use of prepositions. In Christ, with Christ. Three out of four areas, failure. One area, success. And we'll talk about it in a moment. Notice verse eight, not just some success, but great success, a hundredfold. At the end of just this telling of the parable, at the end of this, we read, of course, Jesus called out, Jesus says, this is important, pay attention. This is the teacher in high school who did you a great service by pounding on his lectern when it was something that was gonna be on the test. Did y'all have those kind? This is important. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus is drawing attention to the importance of hearing, of listening, of understanding. Well, what Jesus proclaims in public to this great crowd, he now explains in private to his disciples because they ask him, what's it about? He'll let them know what he's talking about doesn't have to do with agriculture, but rather with theology. In particular, how God speaks and how people listen. 
Jesus is going to drive home the point that hearing is not with the ears, but with the heart. So let's continue, pick it up in verse 9. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in a time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, They are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So Jesus has told the parable. Now he's going to explain the parable. Now, Why does it require an explanation? It's because the disciples say they don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. We we don't know what it means. We read the parable, of course, having already read the explanation, right? We already have the benefit of the whole council. We didn't hear it firsthand. Imagine this scene. I've been away for a couple of days. I come into my home and Michelle is not there. The house is empty. But on the kitchen counter is a plate of freshly baked cookies. Can you imagine it? Now, what does their presence mean? Is it an invitation? Is the meaning, I baked these for you, Take and eat them. Or is there an admonition? I've baked it for others. Don't you dare eat them. Is it an invitation or is it an admonition? Guess what? I don't know until she tells me. The disciples don't know. On one level, they know that he's painted a picture, but they don't know. That's why they ask, what are you talking about, Jesus? Because you see, parables are addressed to those on the inside as well as those on the outside. If you go back to Isaiah 6, verses 9 and 10, which part is quoted here. Isaiah has a commission from the Lord, and it's a wild commission, right? Go out and preach, but... but Hearts are going to be hardened. People aren't going to hear. They're not going to understand. What kind of prophet would, would have that kind of commission? Well, during that time, Israel, their, their lips were moving, but their heart wasn't. 
And until there was genuine repentance, genuine belief, judgment was going to fall on God's people. And so Jesus here is bringing up a parable just like um, Isaiah did, or God did for Isaiah to speak about God's judgment. The secrets of the kingdom of God, it's a secret, it's, it's a mystery, it's once hidden, now revealed. It's not something we figure out, but something that's made known. The secret to the kingdom of God, to how God rules, how God reigns. Notice, to you, to you, it has been given to know. That's emphatic. Uh, Jesus is with his disciples and he's saying, you know what? To you, to those who are following me, to those who are learning to trust me, to you, it's being revealed. But for others, it's not being revealed. Rather, it's staying concealed. And what is the secret really of the kingdom of God? The secret is Jesus. The revelation of the kingdom of God is God in the flesh here among his people. Parables blind those who have resisted God's revelation while helping those who want to believe. The seed, of course, that's being sown is the word of God, specifically the word about the kingdom of God. Later on in Luke, we will hear time after time, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like parables, a way to teach about the kingdom. But let's uh, spend a few moments now under, looking at this interpretation, this explanation. There are four soils, there are four types of hearers. Hearer A, the person who has a hard heart. They're indifferent, they're apathetic. One thing that some have seen in this explanation is God really does have an enemy who is attempting to prevent people from believing and being saved. It's right there, the devil right, comes and takes away the word from their hearts. It's just on the hard path, no penetration. The birds come in and swoop and it's gone. The seed has no chance. The hard heart that's indifferent to the things of God, that's apathetic to the things of God. But then we move on from the hard heart to the shallow heart. The heart that is shallow and superficial. Again, that stony ground is not visible stones. It's really the hard layer of stone underneath this topsoil. It thrives for a little while, but because there's no moisture, the roots can't get down in the scorching heat, it withers. There's pressure. The plant doesn't survive. There's no perseverance. It's on the side, it's on the surface. Scorching heat of temptation, the scorching heat of persecution. 
Well, there's not only the hard heart and the shallow heart, but there is the distracted heart, the heart that is preoccupied. Listen to this description again. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. It's a distracted heart. It's preoccupied. It's, it's divided. These thorns are fast-growing weeds. They crowd out. They choke. They crush When I was growing up and we were on interstates, I kept asking my parents, what is this plant along the, the, the banks of the interstate? It was everywhere, right? We're talking kudzu, right? That Japanese plant that some brilliant Department of Transportation person, probably from North Carolina or somewhere in the South, brought over and said, hey, this will control erosion. You know what kudzu does. This is what is being described here, those thorns, those weeds that just choke everything out, choke out good things, or good things, excuse me, choke out uh, the seed. And notice this expression, as they go on their way. It's not a sudden choking. It's not a sudden crushing. It's not a sudden crowding out. It's over time. You're paying attention to the cares of life, the riches of life, the pleasures of life, that in their place, many things are good, but out of place, out of balance, inordinate, choke the life of the word. So these three hearers, the hard heart, the shallow heart, and the distracted heart, only failure. But there's another hearer. It's the receptive heart, the heart that is good and fruitful. Look back at, at verse 8. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. Matthew and Mark only talk about 30-fold and 60-fold. But Luke says a hundredfold. Luke's got his purpose is to emphasize the, the success amid the failure. Listen again to verse 15. And as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. As I was thinking about what the receptive heart looks like, this good and fruitful heart, what does it look like? It is conservative. It is conservative with the word of God. It holds fast to the word of God. And simultaneously, it is progressive with the word. It bears fruit with patience. Many translations say with perseverance. I was going through a tough time once and somebody sent me via a text, I think it was, or an email, an image of the keep on trucking, you know? It was her way of saying, don't give up, persevere, keep going. 
That's what's happening here. Hold it fast. Conserve it. Bear fruit with patience. It progresses. The word is at work. You see, Christians are people who are both anchored to the word, but also powered by the word. It's not an either or, it's a both and. And with this last hearer, Luke is saying through this parable of Jesus that there are two ultimate responses to the word. It's fruitless or fruitful. It's fruitless or it's fruitful. Now notice as we listen to this parable, it's possible to hear with a hard, shallow, or distracted heart. But hearing that leads to life change is only possible when the word goes into the heart. And how do you know? Only time will tell. Only time will tell. Bearing fruit. You're sown in what? October through December, right? June is harvest time. There may be a lot of discouraging January, February, March, April, May days. But those with the good soil... They hear the word, they hold fast to it. They hold fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Now, now what does Jesus want those to whom he's speaking in public, that great crowd to do in response? What does Jesus want those with whom he is speaking in private, the disciples to do in response? What does Luke want his reader to you and me, to do with this section of this narrative account of the life and ministry of Jesus? How can this parable help us have certainty about Jesus? To know for sure that he's for real, that he came to seek and to save the lost, lost people like you and me who are lost in all kinds of ways. Well, let's put the parable into practice. Listen to verse 8 and 15 again. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So how do we put this parable into practice? Well, first, this parable is a caution. It is a flashing red light that tells us to slow down, stop, look around, and then proceed. It's a call for self-examination, but it is not a call for morbid self-introspection. It's a call to examine your heart, the center of your being, your mind, your affections, your will. But what does scripture say? That the heart is deceptive above all things? What does the psalmist say? God, search my heart. 
We need one another around each other to help us see our own hearts, don't we? This parable is a caution, and it's really asking this question, what kind of soil are you? Hard soil? Shallow soil? Distracted soil? Or fertile soil? I believe God honors questions like request, search me and know me. And I think we fellow believers can really help one another see what we can't see on our own. Other people really are God's means of grace in our lives, but this parable is not just a caution, okay? It's an encouragement. It's a flashing green light that probably not a great idea to fly through, but it does say go. And why is it an encouragement? Because a harvest will be Produce. The emphasis, interestingly, is not on the failure of the three, but the great success of the one. Remember Paul in Athens at the Areopagus? In response to Paul's talk, some mocked him, some wanted to hear more, and some believed. Paul was batting 333, that in baseball is a great average. 250 which looks like from this parable, is, is good, but not great. But that's baseball. But here, the harvest is great, and Luke is drawing attention to that. It's encouragement individually as a Christian and corporately as a church. You see, my friends, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in this community, we are scattering seed indiscriminately. We don't know if the path, we don't know if the heart is hard or shallow or distracted or, or uh, good or honest and good. We don't know. We scatter. Andrew and I were out here on the corner the other night. There were a lot of people in Bellevue. There were tons of people in Bellevue on Tuesday night. Andrew and I gave out two dozen Bibles. Kids would say, can I have a Bible? And we would say, sure. Who knows what God is going to do? This church has a great opportunity to continue to scatter seed. The Lord of the harvest will do the work. So the parable told, explained, and put into practice. Well, I want us to conclude by acknowledging the tension of scripture. The good soil. There is a need for an honest and good heart, right? That's the good soil, an honest and good heart. Ezekiel 18:31. Did you hear it? Make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. <laughs> That's what a lot of people think you have to do in Christianity, right? Make yourself. Change yourself. Are you kidding? Make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. 
there is desperation in response to that. You're willing to ask. And look what happens for the good soil. There is provision of an honest and good heart. Why? Because a gracious and merciful God gives what he demands. Did you hear it? In chapter 18, make yourselves a new heart. And in chapter 36, and I will give you a new heart. You see, desperation. God, give me a new heart. And there's humility, the receiving of a new heart. How? Through faith in Jesus Christ. And what faith is a gift, right? God gives what he demands. There were three women's names mentioned. Mary, Joanna, Susanna. Their names are preserved here as models of good soil. An honest and good heart, a new heart. Luke draws attention to women unlike the other um, gospel writers and shows how Jesus went out of his way to affirm, respect, care for, work alongside women, disciples. They've been given a new heart, an honest and good heart, and they've been faithful to the word of God. They've held it fast and they've produced fruit with patience. You see, for those of you that know the rest of the story in Luke, these women, specifically Mary and Joanna, follow Jesus and are with him to the end. All the men split, betray, abandon, deny. The women are faithful to the end, to the cross, and they are also faithful such that they are there at the new beginning, the empty tomb. Jesus appears first to these women. Models for us. My friends, many around us and maybe some of us today are hard of hearing when it comes to the word of God. But the heart of hearing the word of God is the heart. Ask God to soften your heart. Ask God to give you a single focused heart. Ask God for a new heart. He knows the ones he has made. He loves the ones he calls to himself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have indeed illustrated spiritual truths through what our physical eyes can see. But Father, they picture what we need to be able to see by faith. And we thank you, God, that you have been pleased for those that trust in Jesus to give 
a new heart, a heart that can believe, a heart that can love. Father, encourage us, help us to be the kind of soil into which your word goes and a great harvest is produced. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.